here is the simple truth. If we don't have air that we can breathe safely, water that we can drink safely, soils that can actually produce food, this idea post-Second War that it is possible for us to have our cake and eat it too on the economic front is delusional at best and deceitful at worst, you know. The momentum could be better. I think it's slowly picking up. The whole climate change debate, the pressures from the younger demographic, the cost of that to businesses. You know, increasingly, extreme weather conditions are also impacting businesses financially. So even if you were not intuitively a responsible corporate, you're forced to take a look at it because of uh, how it's costing you financially. Hi, I'm Aisha Mafria, and you're listening to On the Contrary by India Development Review, or IDR, a show featuring unlikely conversations on topics that affect our future. On this podcast, hear differing perspectives from leaders and experts as they help us make sense of the most pressing issues of our time. IDR is an online journal that publishes cutting-edge ideas, lessons, and insights, written by and for the people working on some of India's toughest problems. You can check us out at idronline.org. Your host for the show is Arun Myra, a thought leader and author of several books on everything from listening to people not like us to remaking India. He has the unusual combination of having worked in the private sector, the social sector, as well as the government, where he was a member of India's planning commission. Here's your host, Arun Myra. Welcome to On the Contrary. Today, we are going to discuss the conflict between the economy and industry and the environment. Until recently, India's GDP was one of the fastest growing in the world after only China. But India's progress has actually been quite lopsided. Every unit of GDP growth in India damages the environment more and creates less employment than growth in other countries. The Boston Consulting Group has a diagnostic tool, the Sustainable Economic Development Assessment Framework, or SIDA, which tells countries how they are doing when it comes to overall social and economic conditions. And it turns out that India's growth pattern is not only the worst amongst all BRICS countries, but also when compared to its neighbors, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Nepal, and Pakistan. Alarming, right? Especially for a country which is already amongst the most water-stressed in the world. India ranks 179th out of 180 amongst countries on air quality and 120th out of 122 on water quality. Unsurprising though is where we seem to have performed well. Since 2014, we have been steadily rising in the global ranks of ease of doing business for investors. The question I keep coming back to is, shouldn't businesses and policymakers have more gauges on their dashboards in addition to the ease of doing business, especially when they focus excessively on their own bottom lines and stock market performance at the risk of harming society and the environment? Sure, there have been attempts to persuade companies to use broader measures, but they've not been adopted by many 
to really make a difference. On today's show, we look at what these broader measures need to be and why businesses must prioritize planet and people too, not just profit. We have TV Narendran, CEO of Tata Steel and Bitu Segal, founder of Sanctuary Magazine and longtime environmental activist, talking to us about the environment, economic growth and trade-off between the two. Mr. Narendran is also the managing director of Tata Steel and sits on the boards of several organizations, including international bodies, such as the World Steel Association and CEDEP, which is the European Center for Executive Development. Additionally, he is the president-designate for CII, the Confederation of Indian Industry. Mr. Narendran's background is in mechanical engineering, and he is also a Shevening scholar. Mr. Segal, apart from being the founder-editor of Sanctuary, has produced more than 30 documentary films on conservation, has held several honorary positions on government and non-government committees, such as the Indian Board for Wildlife and the Animal Welfare Board, and has received the Distinguished Service Award from the Society for Conservation Biology. Welcome to the show, Mr. Narendran. Thank you, Mr. Mayra, and my privilege to be here. Mr. J.R.D. Tata, chairman of Tata Steel and the Tata Group, used to say that Whenever he had to take a difficult decision, he would think first of what is good for India and then what is good for the Tatas. And whenever he erred on the side of doing what is good for India, in the long run, he said, it has always invariably worked out well for the Tata group too. Right now, India doesn't seem to be doing too well from the perspective of business people and mostly from the perspective of common citizens. In India, their incomes are very vulnerable and insufficient in many cases. And of course, because of the pandemic, even businesses have been disrupted. But beyond that, the environment, the quality of our water sources, the pollution in the air, the forest cover, they are not in good health either. Going back to Mr. Jayadi Tata here then, Mr. Narendran, what to your mind would be good indicators to gauge how India is doing? I think that's always a challenging question to answer. To me, yes, economic growth is an important uh, part of uh, development. It's necessary, but as you said, probably not sufficient. To me, uh, obviously, when you look at it, uh, you know, on a more holistic basis, you would uh, look at other indicators. You would look at, you know, health indicators, for instance. Uh, you would look at infant mortality. You would look at life expectancy. You would look at, you know, kind of uh, are people dying of curable diseases, so on and so forth. You will look at environment indicators, uh, you will look at forest cover, you will look at pollution, you will look at many other numbers, you will look at uh, even economic measures like income inequality and things like that. So there are a number of measures one should look at, you know, when you look at the health of a country, economic indicators are certainly an important part of it, but uh, we shouldn't stop there. And uh, we should look at a more holistic, well-rounded development. Governments have a big role to play in that, corporates also have a big role to play in that. Yes, Tata Steel has been, for the last 100 years, one of the leaders in the world of businesses to create the concept that a business has to be responsible to all stakeholders and not just to its own shareholders. But that movement has grown rather slowly. You're right to say it is growing, but the problems are not being solved very fast. In fact, they're getting worse, it seems. Mr. Narendran, you are also playing a very important role in the Confederation of Indian Industry and will take over as president in a few months. 
what is the difficulty in bringing along all of industry to adopt these measures and to act faster we need more role models we need more corporates to raise their hand and uh, demonstrate it and today there are many uh, mechanisms in place uh, many platforms for instance integrated reporting is one such thing which uh, tata steel for instance practices and many companies uh, have started practicing that so you're not only just reporting on your financial capital but also natural capital human capital intellectual capital so on and so forth more in the west uh, you know big investors are uh, looking at uh, how do you report your performance and they obviously prefer companies who have an integrated report to companies who just have the traditional reporting formats of just the financial numbers so i can see that a lot more platforms have been created a lot more structures have been created to help corporates who want to do things in a certain way to uh, showcase what they're doing uh, we certainly need to get more and more uh, people on board i agree with you the momentum could be better i think it's slowly picking up the whole climate change debate the pressures from the younger demographic the cost of that to businesses you know increasingly extreme weather conditions are also impacting businesses financially so even if you were not intuitively a responsible corporate you are forced to take a look at it because of uh, how it's costing you financially you know so i can see you know a lot happening which is uh, driving behavior in this direction may not be as fast as we would like it but i'm more optimistic uh, that over the next few years you'll see more momentum on this bitu let me turn to you you have for decades been asking policy makers and economists to consider the harm being done to the natural infrastructure which sustains life especially given the rush to build concrete and steel infrastructure to increase economic growth do you feel the economic juggernaut is beginning to realize the need to change its course well let's start like this that um, the ultimate ease of doing business was that of the east india company right nobody could oppose them nobody could say anything to them they had the armies on their side and it was the ease of doing business but forests vanished resources vanished people were treated like goods and chattel you know and i think that after we gained our independence i don't think that the founding fathers of a new republic like ours had in mind that we should replace the colonizers and embark on that ultimate adventure intergenerational colonization we can go into sociology and we can go into economics and we can go into human rights and we can do many things but there's one thing that should be understood by those who chase gdp to the exclusion of everything else that ultimately the economy is a wholly owned subsidiary of the environment and you can't live in a lifeboat all your life if the mothership you help it to drown here is the simple truth the simple truth is that there isn't a single human activity not a single one that can possibly be achieved with any degree of efficiency or any degree of sustainability if we don't have air that we can breathe safely water that we can drink safely soils that can actually produce food this idea post second war that it is possible for us to have our cake and eat it too on the economic front is delusional at best and deceitful at worst you know so in a sense if you're looking at gdp and you're looking at ripping up let's say the natural capital of the subcontinent which could be represented by rivers or by lakes 
huge lakes or by glaciers or by mangroves or by mudflats, by forests, of course. That's not really good economics. That's selling the family silver. Because I cannot see any way, any way on a finite biosphere for growth to become the permanent and absolute and ongoing ambition of any enterprise. So given this situation, I think it is in the self-interest of economists to look at the biosphere not as a resource alone, but as a source. It's this biosphere that gives us the ability to have a vast market, for instance. You're not going to have much of a market for, let's say, luxury goods in a place which has been totally devastated by a flood or a drought. I'm saying at this point in time. Darwin said it long before me. He said it in the context of biology. I'm saying it in the context of economics. It's just three words, adapt or die. Business as usual is not going to work. And all those things which we now look at as CSR or SDDs, etc., those are not some kind of taxes that are put on businesses today. Those are actually strategies for survival. It's time for a short break. We listen more to our guests on the other side. Ever wondered what a day in the life of a ward worker at a government hospital might look like during a pandemic? What about a day in the life of a trans rights activist who fights daily against the prejudice faced by trans, hijra and intersex communities in Goa? Or a day in the life of a relief worker from the missing tribe based in Majuli, Assam, the world's largest river island? Through IDR's feature series called A Day in the Life Of, we share the stories of everyday people across the length and breadth of the country doing everything from teaching children with disabilities to volunteering at the farmers' protests. With this series, get a glimpse into what it might feel like to walk a day in the shoes of people who lead very different lives from yours. You can check out A Day in the Life Off on www.idronline.org. And now, back to On the Contrary. Mr. Narendran, what do you sense about the condition in Indian industry right now, especially when it comes to the growing pressure to involve and consider stakeholders beyond just shareholders? You know, in a way in India, while we can debate, you know, debate the tax, but the forced contribution on CSR is also another way of forcing corporates to spend more money on the communities. And I think India recognizes that economic growth needs to be greener and cleaner. Because we've seen what has happened in China over the last 15, 20 years, where they grew dramatically economically. They've also had to do a lot of cleanup, particularly over the last five, six years. So I don't think uh, India wants to go that way. Probably India recognizes that it cannot afford to go that way. But yes, uh, I do believe that uh, you always need to find that better balance. You know, you need to, uh, it's not about just taking care of shareholder and forgetting about everyone else. It's also not about just taking care of the community and forgetting about the shareholder. So as leaders, we need to find that balance. I think that's one of our jobs to, you know, it's not perfectly balanced all the time, but over a long period of time, you need to find some balance. So I also believe that uh, you will uh, get listened to more if you've uh, done a good job of finding that balance. If you've not done a good job of finding that balance, people will tell you what you just said, saying that, fine, you may be a role model in taking care of community, but at the cost of the shareholder. But if you can say that, hey, my shareholder is also not done too badly, 
and I've taken care of the community as well, then, you know, people uh, will probably follow you more easily than they would otherwise. But obviously, the expectations of different stakeholders, it's not just the shareholder. The community also has a different expectation, right? What was good enough for the community 10, 20, 30 years back is not good enough for the community today, right? You know, in Netherlands, we have one of the most uh, carbon efficient and clean uh, steel plants uh, in the world. But the community there is saying it's not good enough, right? So to me, the expectations of the community will also change. The yardsticks that they hold you up against also keep changing. So as a leader, you have to keep adapting to the changing expectations of all the stakeholders, whether it's your employee, whether it's your shareholder, whether it's your community, and keep finding that balance. And if you do a good job of that, all of them will listen to you when you say that what you're doing is the right thing. So it's very important for business leaders to keep listening to communities directly. And if you listen to people, then they feel you understood them and they trust you. However, right now, industry seems to be pushing the government to short-circuit the environmental impact assessment process, which determines which projects get environmental clearance to move forward. This process must involve consulting local stakeholders, but recent policy changes have weakened it considerably. It seems that government and businesses are not too keen to listen to people on the ground. What are your thoughts on this? You know, I have a slightly different view from what you've just expressed, simply because We've been very deep in this. Uh, I'm talking of the last part of what you said. Mm -hmm. You know, what you said at the beginning, very true. You have to be seen as wanting to listen. You have to listen. Even if you can't solve the problems, the least you can do is listen. Right? And I think it's very important to do that. It's very important for me as a leader to do that. It's very important for the leadership team to do that. So you take them through the sensitization program so that they appreciate where the other person is coming from, and hopefully the ability to listen improves, right? So I'm totally with you on that. You know, we have leadership training on many areas, but I don't think we have enough leadership training on listening to communities. So I'm totally with you on that. So to me, the law is no guarantee that the listening is happening or the good intent is being recognized, right? Deployment of that law is important. So that's the challenge. And I feel... Uh, I know the environment laws, the amendments that were proposed have been very controversial. There are, of course, some of those changes I support, some maybe needs to be looked at. But, you know, you had a much tougher law in 2005, right? But between 2005 and 2020, a lot happened, which is not desirable, right? Even though the laws were, you know, in some sense seen as tougher or tighter because of the deployment, because of the misuse in deployment, because of the shortcuts that were taken. So, I mean, we've got a lot of good policy in place and we need to make sure that the right policies are uh, deployed correctly and not misused by the wrong people for the wrong reasons. So I think this is where industry associations like CII can play a role, get everyone together, have a conversation, understand each other's uh, points of view. You know, because I think the government, the community and industry need to work together to solve the problems that India has. None of them can do it by themselves. And it doesn't help by demonizing each other, right? Because if you have to work with each other, then you have to find the common ground to work with and then start building on that. Bittu, what is it that you feel can be done to persuade business and government to think long term when it comes to the environment? Who can influence leaders to move beyond the quarterly scrutiny of their turnover, profits and shareholder returns? I would go back to self-interest. You know, I mean, the fact of the matter is that 
when we say, let's take the environment impact uh, analysis, the, the loosening of laws, India has some of the best environmental laws. It was always presumed that these laws were meant to benefit elephants and tigers and sharks and whales and stuff like that. It wasn't. The idea simply was that 30 years ago, we knew what most economists did not know, that without having a healthy biosphere, we are not going to be able to do any kind of stable business. And protecting the environment is essentially good long-term economics. In a nutshell, I'm saying to you that there is absolutely no way, there is no economist in the world who can possibly continue on this growth path without doing one of two things. One is you eat up your capital so completely that you cannot operate tomorrow. And two is you create such imbalance in the markets in terms of the dissatisfaction of one set of human beings when related to the profit made by such a small fraction of human beings. The disequilibrium there will destroy the market. I think the market wants stability. And as I said, Darwin said two things. One is adapt or die. And the second thing that he mentioned obliquely was that the purpose of life is not uh, growth. The purpose of life is status. So if the economy is doing well, if GDP measures are used, then what we want is for those measures to be used over 200, 400, 700 years, not like a flash in the pan, something that comes up quickly. I go into somebody's house, I rip off his safe, I sell the stuff, I buy a new car, and I say, look, my GDP has gone up. The issue right now is in a democracy, an autocracy, a dictatorship, is anybody even looking for long-term economics anymore? I doubt it very much. I think everybody is looking to grab and run, you know, and that won't work. It's simply not working. And I think we're just basically doing bad economics. Around. It's just bad economics. So when you ask who's responsible or who can fix it, I'd say start with the economists, influence the policymakers. And the thing is, get to the next generation, like people like me are doing and telling them that we don't just want to leave a better planet for you. We want to leave better kids for the planet as well, because my generation has been culpable and we have consumed resources way beyond. We are on a ship and we are emptying the larder and we got a hole in the hull and we are burning our lifeboats. And at this moment in time, I think I don't know. Two out of a hundred economists who don't accept the truth, but they are not in a position to do anything about it, or they will be removed from their positions. And I believe at this point in time, we are very close to the tipping point, very, very close. When economies fail, it's the bank of nature that fails. And when that fails, the ripples and the after quakes that take place are social unrest, resource deprivation. Syria is a classic example, Arun. That's where women invented agriculture for 11,000 years ago. And it took just four consecutive monsoons to cause a migration, which was called a Shia-Sunni problem eventually. It wasn't a Shia-Sunni problem. They lived together for years. It was a lack of resources. When there's just one bottle of water and I've got to cross 14 kilometers of the Sahara, I'll fight my brother for that one bottle. And that's what we're really talking about. No economic system. No corporation, no government can survive in a situation of mayhem, in a situation of anarchy. You need stability. And I come back to the same thing. The purpose of life, longest lived species and the longest lived companies are those that had stable 
basis upon which to operate. Bittu and Mr. Narendran, thank you for your thoughtful reflections about the purpose of a business enterprise. Its purpose cannot be and must not be just to sustain itself. Because all living things and even business enterprises depend on the environment and the society around them for their sustenance. The paradigm that the business of business must be only business must be changed. Both of you are playing leadership roles to bring about the change. Bittu, you from outside business and Mr. Narendran yourself from within. Let's hope that in the next decade, industry and activists recognize that we need not be on opposite sides of the debate. Sustainable development is, as we've discussed today, in everybody's interest. On the Contrary is produced by Rachita Vora, Smarnita Shati, and me, Aisha Mafatia, with additional support from Kuber Batla. This episode was hosted by Arun Myra for IDR. Production by Made in India. To learn more about the kinds of ideas featured on this podcast, check us out at idronline.org. If you like our show, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also recommend the show to someone you think will like it. Share it with a friend, colleague, or someone in your family. Or leave a review on Apple Podcasts so that more people can find out about us. Thank you for listening and see you next week.